Welcome to Ask a Pastor. We're going to be tackling some questions that you have written in. If you have a question, send them in to askapastor at orchardhillchurch.com. Today, I'm joined by Mike Hatch, who is one of our Life Stage pastors and uh, has been involved in lots of different areas of ministry. And uh, let's go ahead and jump in to the first question. Uh, Number one, Mike, I'm sure you've never struggled Mm -hmm. with this in your entire life. The question Mm -hmm. is, how should I address fear? kind of scared right now, Joel. Uh, No, of course I have dealt with this issue. I think anybody has dealt with this issue. Um, In all sorts of different, there are all sorts of different realms, you know, that we might deal with the issue of fear. Of course, you got to, is it, is it fear for your life? Is it fear for your safety? Is Mm -hmm. it fear for, because the circumstances are overwhelming and feel out of control? Typically, we fear that we might lose something, Hmm. Or that we might get what we don't want, basically, hmm. right? If, if you boil it down, that's kind of the, I guess, primal two things that, that are at the root of fear. And, and fear is a primal thing, right? Like it's a, yes. core, a core of the yes. sins. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly, exactly. It's one of those. So I kind of think of it as being an indicator, like as if, as if you're looking at your dashboard on your, on your car, mm-hmm. in a sense. All sorts of different emotions can operate as indicators to us to, to hopefully direct us to something. So, like, when you feel fear in, in a very, in a, that is primal sense, often it means, well, you're in danger. Yeah. Is it time to run? Is it time to fight? You know, fight or flight? Is it time to protect yourself? What is it that's going on? But it's, it's an indicator to, uh, to identify something that's going on around you in your circumstances. Now, with regard to this question, my guess is that this person... They're not specific in terms of what they ask as far as fear, but I guess it probably comes from a more spiritual perspective. So mm-hmm. what are some ways we can fear from a spiritual perspective? Maybe it's, maybe it's we fear God's judgment or punishment, mm-hmm. you know? Or maybe we fear that we're not in the place where we should be, maybe where God wants us, you know? Um, or maybe we fear that our sins or our past may find us out. There are different things that, that I think we often fear. Yeah. So it's a broad question. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And, uh, and I've certainly relate to all those different kind of examples. Yeah. I would go to, uh, first John is one of the places you probably know where I'm going right off <laughs> immediately, because this is what I think about. We're, we're in first John chapter four. He's talking about God's love for us. And at, at near the end, uh, of, of this of chapter 4, let me see, around verse 16, he says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. This is how we love, how, how, excuse me, this is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. So interesting there, because confidence in the day of judgment, I just talked about the fact that hmm. fear, really all the core fear from a, from a spiritual perspective in our relationship with God comes from I think what it says here, a fear of judgment. Will we be judged? Will, be, will we be held accountable for our sin, ultimately? <clears throat> and it says, in this world, we are like Jesus. Um, which basically means there's all sorts of struggles we're facing on an everyday basis, just like Jesus went through different struggles. But it says in verse 18, then it goes on, it says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because... Mm. Fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And so I think 
if we're talking about an eternal spiritual, you know, if you want to go primal that direction, really our fear ultimately is, is, is of God, hmm. of his judgment of, for our sins or punishment or coming before him and having to account for, for our sin. And the beautiful thing about the gospel is that that judgment has already been taken through Christ dying on the cross for us. And that's yeah. where perfect love has come in and, and in a sense destroyed those consequences that we might otherwise face because of our sin. And so now when we appropriate that perfect love in our lives and we demonstrate trust in Christ and his sacrifice for us, at the most primal level, as we're talking about, the reason for fear has been removed. Yeah. Yeah. Right? That's good. But it's hard to live that. Sure. It's hard to live that and actually in every pra- everyday practical ways to actually live out that, yeah. that freedom in that. So When I think of fear, like the word insecurity comes to mind. And like I think of uh, uh, maybe you saw the new Aladdin movie, right? Where he's in the mm-hmm. cave of wonders or whatever and the, everything's turning to lava and he's standing on these, these, uh, these pillars of rock that are shaking. And it's like, is he going to fall and die? Uh, he doesn't. Um, but yeah, no, like don't give it away. Right. (laughs) And so like, this is how we feel sometimes, but what Christ does Mm. in the gospel is it's like, he sets us on solid ground. Right. And, and there is no shaking in our, in our world. So, so then even when the circumstances around us begin to shake, we can have confidence that we are firmly planted on on Christ our rock and that means you know that we have this firm identity in him we have this inheritance in heaven and so that means it doesn't matter what people say about us it means you know our finances uh, we don't have to stress out about them uh, because we have this inheritance and all these things that just put us Mm -hmm. on on firm ground yeah exactly and so then yeah we can hopefully the different challenges we encounter in life as we go along we can meet those things with confidence knowing that God has taken care of the most uh, foundational fundamental issue we have to struggle with and then yeah and then also I, th- I think also is that the more we uh, demonstrate our trust in God and and come at certain situations or challenges or trials and really engage in them and maybe there are different things in how we deal with those things that we're, where God might be asking us to step out in certain ways to trust him mm-hmm. and as we do that I think and, and we experience God coming through and being faithful over and over and over and over again. It strengthens our faith, but then yeah. also helps us to move forward and deal with the next situation, maybe with, with less fear and more trust in God. Yeah. Um, my, my answer, you know, how should I address fear is, yeah. is a super churchy and very simple one, and it's read the Bible. Um, and <laughs> yes. if, if this is somebody who is just struggling with fear on a continual basis— Man, start in Genesis and read through the entire Bible. Get a, buy yourself a new Bible, underline or mark it up every time somebody is responding in fear. Because that is the story of, of, the, of humans. From, from Genesis yep. 3, the first thing, right, is Adam and Eve hide from God. Uh, the very end of the Bible we see uh, in Revelation, it's the kings and the strong ones of the earth they, yep. they, they run and they hide in caves and they cry out for the mountains to fall on them so that they don't yeah. have to face God. Um, and of course, John, who's writing that book, what's he do? He's on his face before this mm-hmm. angel or, or whatever that's giving him this revelation. And so yeah. um, it, this is the story of humans. Yep. Um, we are always afraid, but we find our confidence in Christ. I love that. Yeah, this, the Bible is, from what I have 
said in the past is it's God's interpretation of, of human history. Yeah. It's, 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 it's him looking at history and, and, and telling us exactly what, kind of pulling back the, the curtain and looking behind the scenes to see where he has been working all this time. Um, and you're right. So when we immerse ourselves in God's word and understand his grander narrative, especially, um, that he's working out his plan of redemption throughout all of human history, suddenly it does help to give some security, knowing that like these issues and struggles and, and uh, conflicts we might be facing in our life are not devoid of God's presence and his involvement in it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That we're not alone in it. Yeah. So that's well said. I totally agree with that. The other thing I would say too is, in terms of fear is often we fear because we are isolated mm. and often i think we need to we need to be in god's word we also need to be in community with other people yeah. so that i think they can help us get outside of our own heads yeah and r- help correct our perspectives yeah most common command in the bible do not be afraid fear, fear not. not that's right <laughs> <laughs> that's right yeah uh all right jumping into question number two um what is the most important thing about a healthy, God-honoring marriage? God. <laughs> I know, I'm just, yeah. I say that, but I would say, a, I, I'm saying this more and more because I feel it myself too, but this a desperate dependence mm-hmm. on God. Yeah. Often we come into marriage and we're excited about this other person as we should be. And your confidence often comes from that infatuation, hmm. you know, that, that this person who I think is really cool is responding to me and, and, and really loves me can pump my ego up in certain ways yeah. that, uh, that it becomes more about me. And then when you get into the marriage and you start living your life together, you realize that, oh shoot, I, like they're not as good as I thought I'm not as good as I thought. I, I can't tell you how many people have come to me and said, um, you know, that they, if you want to learn how sinful you are, get married. Hmm. And then secondly, have kids. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, but get married if, if you want to understand how sinful you are and how selfish you are. And then, you, because then you have to be dependent on God's grace, mm-hmm. which is really the, the foundation of it. So, I know maybe that might sound like a cop-out to some people, and there's more to kind of unpack maybe in yeah. that, but that's my initial yeah. response. I, I was just thinking of Ephesians 5 where, you know, Paul gives us this model of, of marriage, and he says, you know, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And, um, and so my answer is, you know, just right there with yours, I would, I would just say that Christ is the center of it, that, that in our marriages, um, whether you're the husband or the wife, that are that we are seeing our role in that marriage as, um, as modeling what Christ has done. Um, mm-hmm. So that's my super generic churchy answer. But, you know, when yeah. we do premarital counseling, mm-hmm. um, people do this, this survey called DARE, and then they get yep. scored on, on where they're compatible or whatever, wherever their answers are like, wait, you know, we need to talk about this. Right. And it gives us these categories. And the, I, my opinion is when I look at that, the most important one is the communications piece. Um, because communication is how we resolve every issue. Um, you know, when it gets yep. down to like sex and, you know, the in-laws and kids, if you don't have communication figured out, you're not going to be able to deal with all those disagreements. And at the different stages of marriage, you know, start out as a newly, newlywed, kid number one, kid yeah. number two, et cetera, 
you run into different challenges, unique challenges at each each one that kind of have you have to fall back again and, and bring up that whole issue of communication, like you said. Yeah. And it, there are new communication challenges uh, associated with that. I totally agree. And and again, if you're not plugged in or, or appropriating God's grace in your own life, in your own heart, then it's going to be really hard to have grace for the for the one you're married to. Yeah. But it's interesting as you say that because I just look back at the question it says a healthy God-honoring marriage. So yeah. I wonder if the assumption in this question is that they're Christians already and maybe have some although it's not bad to be reminded of the grace we're, we're desperate for. Yeah. But um I think what you said in terms of communication is huge in terms with that. And I think also a continual uh people aren't intentional. Hmm. It, it, it's so funny. I, I've heard of other cultures, you know, that do arranged marriages, and they describe it as that they, they, they get married to date. In our culture, instead, we date to yeah. marry. Huh. You know what I mean? And so, and, and again, I think we go so often, it, we move into marriage with this natural momentum, which I think is a gift to help us, you know, be excited about everything, because you run into some really hard things. But it, at some point, you have to switch and become intentional about communication, yeah. about spending time together, connecting together. Um, because a woman wants to know a man's heart. Yeah. And a man really wants to be known. And, and it's interesting is, I mean, they both want to be known, but like that connection time is just so critical. Yeah. So, so let's do this. Um, mm-hmm. Let's think about three different sort of life stages and real briefly, just one piece of advice to that Great. person. Think of the person in their early 20s, not in a relationship right now. Um, what do they need to do to ensure that they're going to end up in a God-honoring marriage? Communication. I think that's so key because as guys, you usually come into a marriage, especially when you're young like that, b- behind in your emotional IQ okay. or emotional EQ, yeah. Yeah. yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, but your emotional acumen. It, it, guys aren't used to pulling stuff out of their hearts mm-hmm. and verbalizing. Okay. Women do that all the time. And as a guy, you're starting from behind, so you ha- I think... That's one of the most important things. Learn to start pulling that stuff out. Even if it doesn't sound right or come out right, do it yep. and, and it will pay dividends later on. So somebody who's in a new marriage, you know, maybe let's say two Christians just got married, they want to start forming that healthy God, God-honoring marriage. Communication is probably the top priority, I would say, yeah. Hmm. Okay. Yep. And then somebody who, uh, let's say the person writing this question is just feeling this strain, like they're not in a God-honoring marriage. One of uh, the other person who didn't write this question doesn't really care about it being a God-honoring marriage. This person does. What do you say to that person? That's a great question. Okay, so one of the things that Paul, and I'm forgetting the, the, uh, the reference right now, but that Paul talks about the fact that sometimes if in your love for that person, if it's, if it's God-honoring or if, if it comes from that appropriation of God's grace in your heart already, when you love that other person uh, self-sacrificially, unconditionally, it can actually sometimes draw that person closer to God them, themselves yeah. and, and reflect God's love to them. And so it, it's going to be a daily self-sacrificial kind of thing where, um, and that, that's tough because if, if, you're, if you're a Christ follower, if you're a Christian and, and the other person is not, they're not they're not going to meet your expectations yeah. of a God-honoring marriage in right. the first place. So you kind of have to, to back off of that a little bit. Um, and I would say pray really hard 
yeah. for, for your spouse as well. Yeah. yeah, that's good. And you're not going to be able to do that alone. So talk to Mike about getting into a life group. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah right. you will need support in that situation. That's it. Yeah, definitely. So. Definitely. All right. Good answers. Thanks. Um, let's jump mm-hmm. into number three. Mm-hmm. This is a doozy of a question. <laughs> yes, Why in most churches are there more women than men and what can be done about it? So first of all, I'm really grateful at Orchard Hill that I would say for the most part, this isn't necessarily true. I would mm-hmm. say there's, there's a lot of men here. And, but, but I know by and large in churches around the country, you do see typically more women than men. I've heard some people say that it's because of a, a feminization, if you will, of the church, that some of the worship songs, for example, are, appeal more to the, to the feminine heart than to mm-hmm. the masculine heart. I've heard uh, some people say that guys don't have as much to do, um, that often guys will be drawn to church startups. Yeah. And then once things are, are kind of set and, and in a managerial kind of phase, that you're just kind of maintaining things, that, that women begin to more come and men hmm. because because men want to blaze the trail we want to be right. used we want to be active and so and we poke fun of, at the sort of like jesus and my bo- jesus is my boyfriend songs that sometimes <laughs> right yes and whereas exactly. men sometimes like we need a sword underneath the seat in front of us so we can like raise it in the air yeah. you know and have that brave heart moment of like that's right we're doing this you know <laughs> that's exactly right <laughs> and so i do think that sometimes like for churches to have things for just guys to do physically to, yeah. to, to go and do together guys it, it's in our hearts it's in our dna to, to go sh- to be shoulder to shoulder working on something together yeah uh there's something very special about that for guys it draws together and and uh um i think for women uh it not that they don't they enjoy that as well i know but but there's I think for women, they want a more secure place, a place that's safe, that they can be, you know, themselves. And, and again, both of those apply to both sexes, I would say. But yeah. for men, man, we really want to do some things, um, engage together, uh, and, uh, and yeah, do some things together, shoulder to shoulder, yeah. Yeah. Um, so the question is, what can be done about it? I mean, you've mm. already done some things that um, we, we know that we're living in a day where manhood um, is, is, uh, is not like celebrated. It's not lifted up. Like Homer Simpson is sort of like the, the father figure of our day, right? Like, the, and you yeah. know, how many kids are born into families without a father present? And so I think, you know, there's this, there's two sort of things at play here. It's um, what's happening in society as a whole, not to blame society because as men, this is like our primary, our, our sin or temptation, right? Is to, is to give up uh, our call to leadership um, and to manhood um, and to let somebody else do it. Um, so so it's, it's society, it's men, but then what do we do in the church? Right, and it's funny because, so you could back all the way up to, you know, it, it, throughout history, men have often used power and authority uh, to abuse, yeah. specifically women. And, and you could even argue that the women's movement uh, in, in the 20th century was birthed out of this, this sense in, in women that's like, we're sick of this, hmm. being abused by, by men. Um, and as, as you look forward, though, now it's interesting, this next generation, you know, the, this millennial generation specifically, there have been uh, a lot of women I'm seeing are almost calling out for those for the strong men again, hmm. 
are calling out for those men to kind of say, no, I, 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 I don't, I don't want a soft man. I want a man who's going to take charge and yeah. who's, who's, who's going to assert his manhood in certain ways, you know, hopefully not in abusive ways for sure. But, um, so you're right. There is a, I think there's a desire, uh, from women in our culture. So what to do about that? I would say, I think we need models of manhood. Hmm. Very, very important to have models of manhood. We, we have a lot of men today who maybe have been either fatherless or their fathers are, are not around as much. And, yeah. and we need, or have bad examples, but we, I think we really need good models of manhood, whether it be the pastor, whether it be just bringing men up uh, on a regular basis um, in a sense as examples yeah. of, of what we what, what true manhood is yeah and giving some giving other men we we as men also need hooks to hang our hats on in, in a way like mm-hmm. I always I loved Robert Lewis's you know four principles of manhood that he would he would talk about for me personally I love that because it would it gave me something to kind of like define manhood you know what I mean um, and so if there if the more we can more examples and and in those practical ways we can give other men to kind of look up at, a, at at certain men as as examples i think that that's huge because that's yeah. how we as men learn too that's is right. from other guys and and being mentored and you know those kind of things one of the things that you and i have both had conversations about is how mm-hmm. do we start some programs in the church that are like not just come to sit in a circle and talk about our feelings, but let's put a 50 pound weight on our back and see how yes. far we can hike. And yes. I, like in the strip district, we're in the middle of planning a trip. We're gonna hike uh, two 14,000 foot mountains in Denver, uh, not Denver, in Colorado. I'm so oh, pumped that's for amazing. it. Um, and you've got lots of stuff like that going yeah, on. I mean, sure. tell, us, tell us about yeah. some of that so stuff. We've done, <laughs> we've done some Go Rucks. Uh, Go Ruck is, is an organization that uh, where you go, you, you uh, put a pack on a, a ruck it's a military term with a weighted backpack and, and you do a hike and we did a gosh with a couple guys here did a hike for like 24 hours um wow. it was all night yeah it was it was incredible and, and it's a, it's meant to be a teamwork team building thing and guys like suffering together yeah <laughs> there's something about that that yeah. like really inspires men and and tests the you know their their resolve we've done that we've done other things uh here where we've done some interactive bible studies and, and things where we experience these these challenges every week for mm-hmm. example and so we might be studying something in journey but then uh challenge guys to say hey this week these are the things we're going to do to actually exercise the th- what we're learning maybe in, in relationship with our wives our kids at work all these yeah. kind of things and the cool thing is is as a group of men we know that we're all doing this together these common challenges together which helps create some synergy and, and know that you're not in it alone, yeah. that you're not isolated, but we're all working together to, to, to do these things. But like you said, I love it, to challenge yourself to be active, take what we're learning in the word yep. and really put it to work where the rubber meets the road in yeah. our lives. And you know, to the, to the women and wives that are listening, um, when these sorts of things come up on the church calendar, men's retreats especially, do yeah. everything that you can to encourage your husband to be there yeah. um, because that's really important just to build, build a stronger uh, you know, manhood within the church. And, uh, and exactly. we've both seen that those, those events are some of the most significant um, moments of ministry and development in people. You, know, uh, you would give up uh, you know, 15 weeks of, of Sunday morning to have you know, one weekend together with men. Yep, I agree.
Well, thank you, Mike. Um, great, great answers, great questions. If you have any other questions, send them to us at askapastor at orchardhillchurch.com. 